How many of y'all are enjoying the cicadas? If you think that this one's bad, every place I've been so far doesn't compare to about 13 years ago when our children were in the Union Point, uh, Miss, or Georgia, uh, elementary school. And when we would pull up out there with the air conditioning on, the windows up, and the radio turned on, the cicadas were overwhelming what was going on in the car. It was amazing up there. It went on for about a week and a half. Now we're going to look at the book of Philemon. Philemon is just before the book of Hebrews. It's the last of Paul's letters in the order uh, in which we have them in the Bible. So if you're there and you see Ephesians, keep turning to the back. And finally, after uh, Titus, you'll come to the little book of Philemon. Or as one man in this church calls it, Philemon. But I don't think that's right. Philemon. Now, Philemon, of all of the writings of the New Testament, is probably the most sensitively written part of our entire Bible. There is a huge problem that Paul is incredibly incredibly sensitive to bringing his apostolic direction without using his apostolic authority. It's important that we see that Paul is giving direction, but he is not making demands. The issue is this slave that has run away from Philemon whose name is Onesimus. Now, in that day, slaves were given names that would hopefully reflect what the slave owner hoped for. So the name Onesimus means useful. What we find out in the body of this letter is, from Onesimus's own perspective, he was useless. Now that information came from Onesimus himself. Paul's goal is to write the Christian relationship between Philemon and Onesimus who has become a Christian. But in this letter, Paul is seeking to make it very clear to Philemon that it is his desire as an apostle that Onesimus be freed. Now we're going to take a number of weeks to deal with this. There is an enormity for us to think about personally as we look at this letter. We're going to talk today about believing that God's working behind the scenes all the time. That's important. We need to know that today. We need to believe and trust that God is working. Therefore, we need to be prayerful and patient for God to work. That's a part of this letter. Then we need to believe that what's going on right now, things that we're involved with, that God's plans from a long, long time back 
have had all of what we're dealing with in view. That his plans in these things aren't, he's not just manipulating what's going on. He is in charge of bringing everything together. We need to see that. Now, the one thing I want to try and conclude with at the end of this day is to say, in this little letter, it's all about relationships, Christian relationships. And we need to see how important it is for us to develop healthy Christian relationships for the long term of our life, knowing that our healthy relationships as Christians with one another are God's tools to cultural change. Cultural change comes from us having real relationships and seeing them, well, they'll go through the kinds of problems that are reflected in life, but as we relate to one another as Christians faithfully, lovingly, well, that's what's going God's going to use to change a culture. Let me read this now. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Appia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet... I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I do not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do not wish, brother, that I may have, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. As And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, again, we're going to want to look in the first place here about God's working behind the scenes and everything that's going on here. I'll give you a little story. Probably from probably in the early 1960s, this took place. And it just shows us in a contemporary way how God's working behind the scenes all the times in and through our lives. There's a man who is Polish. He lived in New Jersey and worked in New York City, and he took a train every workday into the city. On this particular morning, he got up and went and got on the typical train that he was to take, but shortly after getting on, he got off still in New Jersey to visit a friend who was very, very sick in his home. After about an hour, he got back on to a train that he typically would never have ridden. Now, when he got on the train, there was one seat. And so as he got on, he immediately went and sat down in that seat, and he noticed that the man next to him was reading a paper, but it was a Polish paper. And so he spoke to him in Polish, and he asked him how long he had been in the States. Well, the man told him that, you know, a few things, and he said, well, how did you happen to come to the States? And then this story began to come out. He said, at the end of World War II, after being involved in the military, I went back to my home in Poland, which was in an apartment building, and nobody from my family and none of our personal belongings were left there. No one even knew where my parents or my siblings or my young wife were. They were gone. This happened to lots of people. Well, just completely broken after the war, now this loss, he began to move his way across Europe knowing he didn't want to be in a place occupied by the Soviets. He got his way into uh, Western Europe and then made his way into the States and got a job in New York City. But he was active in keeping up. Even in in South Florida, where I grew up, we had American-Polish clubs. I don't think we have any in Macon, but we did down in South Florida, and that was typical. So he kept up with things from a Polish newspaper. Well, as this man who had sat down next to him listened to this story, he thought, goodness, I've heard this almost the same story from a Polish Christian woman that lives in the city. And so he starts asking this man some questions about where he lived back in Poland and various things in this man's eyes are, I mean, he is amazed. How can this man know about these things? 
They get to a place in New York City where this woman lives. They get off the train. The woman is living in an apartment building with one phone, as typical, in the center of the hallway. And so the man goes to a payphone, calls that phone, and it rings and rings and rings and rings and rings. Finally, someone answers it, and it's the Polish woman. Nobody else is there. Well, he now starts to ask her questions based on what he has learned from this man. And the woman on the other end is almost now talking in gibberish. She can't understand how this friend knows these things about her life. And after just a couple of minutes, he took the phone and he handed it to the man and said what? Speak to your wife. Now, this seems highly unusual. I would want to make a case that it's highly typical of how God works in Christian relationships behind the scenes all the time. We need to have that kind of confidence. You have things going on in your life that are much bigger than you could ever hope to deal with humanly. We have to have confidence as Christians that the Lord Jesus Christ is working in those situations all the time. Now, as we look at this, Philemon shows us that we are to believe that God is working behind the scenes in all of our lives. You think of Paul's conversion. Who, as we say in the South, would have thunk it? Right? But that's what happened. We don't see human instrumentality. God's working behind the scenes. Now think of this one. Paul's in prison. Now we also say God's plans, you know, are perfect. But this one looks like it's dumb as a rock. I mean, here is this man who's changing the world. Now he's confined in prison, first in the area of Israel for two years, and now in Rome for an extended period of time. We're not sure how many times Paul was in prison. We know that there was at least these two times or maybe a couple of others that we don't really have the details in. But here's this guy who's changing the world. And now he's locked up. But what's happening behind the scenes? Well, people are writing to him, communicating with him. And so as a result of this, Paul writes the letter to the Philippians, the epistle of joy. Paul writes the letter to the church at Ephesus, which may be his high watermark in theology. He writes at the same time to the church in Colossae and this little letter to Philemon and then later on to Timothy and to Titus. We might not have those letters had Paul been out on the run. But because he was in prison, 
God is working behind the scenes to give these letters as a gift to the church. I think of this man, Philemon. This man had to have been converted under Paul when Paul was ministering in Ephesus. Paul never set foot in the town of Colossae where this man Philemon originates from. That's where his home is. So the speculation is, is Philemon is in Ephesus, comes in contact with Paul and is converted, goes home and probably converts his wife, this woman that's spoken of as Aphia, and her son, this man that is spoken of as Archippus. That's what's happening. So Philemon is now converted under Paul's ministry. Now also, in this church, during the time that Paul's imprisonment, there becomes problems in the church at Colossae. Paul is now in prison in Rome, and so the pastor of this church in, uh, in Colossae, Epaphras, goes almost 650, 700 miles as the crow flies from the city of Colossae to Rome. Now, taking that in the normal route, it was probably a journey of over 1,000 miles. And so he is coming to bring a story of the problems of the church there. And sometime just before this, this slave who has run away gets to Rome, and we don't have any clue how he and Paul connected. God's working behind the scenes. But this slave, Onesimus, is now where Paul is in prison. Paul leads Onesimus to faith in Christ. Onesimus now is ministering to Paul in his imprisonment. He was attached to his left arm and his right arm with a chain to two Roman guards, 24 hours a day. He had to, Paul had to, take care of his own needs, clothing, food. These weren't things that Rome provided him. He had to provide for these things. And now this man, Onesimus, is there, and he is doing all of these things. This rebellion and this flight that has taken place in Onesimus' life, bringing him to Rome, Paul says down here, you know, it would appear that God was involved in that, that that was something that God was doing in this man's life. So now he's there, and here comes this pastor from the very town, in the very church that Philemon is a part of, and he shows up in Paul's cell, and lo and behold, here is Onesimus. Like, what in the world? How did this happen? And the only way we could say it happened is, God is doing all of these things all of the time. Now, we have a verse that we go to, right? What is it? All things are working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
God is doing these things. In all of these things, okay, all of these things are to correct a personal wrong and a cultural wrong. Both of those things, God's orchestrating in these events. We have to be careful, although there are huge things going out there, that we would like to think we'd like to see corrected. We might even think that we would, well, today, of course, we always try and change things politically. They don't get changed that way very well. But when God changes, makes these changes, real changes occur. All right, the second thing. We need to believe that God is working behind the scenes, and we need to be patient, and we need to be prayerful, and wait for God's working to take place. Now, we see this working itself out in the lives of everyone in these letters. What's Paul saying he's doing all the time, every time he thinks of Philemon and the church that's in his house? He's praying for them. How's Paul dealing with this Onesimus, no doubt, from the time that he comes in contact with him? He's praying for him. How would you have to treat a person like Onesimus? You would have to be very patient. And this is what we see. We have to treat one another and treat situations that come up in our lives this way. We are Americans. We think that we can make things happen. We think that we can get things done. And I just tend to find that we make a mess, and especially out of relationships. That's not what's going on here. God is working in all these problems. He's working in all of our problems. He's working in all of these circumstances and situations. He's working in all of ours. And Paul's trust is that God is genuinely working in Onesimus' life. Paul's trust is even though he has been away from these people, Philemon and his family, a long time, that God has continued to work in this man Philemon's life, his family, in that church. Now, Onesimus is new to the faith. And this man has to exercise a lot of prayer and a lot of patience. You know, all of a sudden, Paul's talking to the pastor of the church and saying, you're going to be going back with him. Whoa, you've got to be kidding me. I'm sure he was praying a lot. What's it going to be like to go home? What's it going to be like to be back in that family? What's it going to be like to be back in that church who already knows about me. So Onesimus is praying. When Philemon receives this letter, jumping way ahead, it's going to take a lot of faith on Philemon's part to accept this letter as the direction of the way he should conduct himself. That's going to take a lot of patience, and that's going to take a lot of prayer. But this is what we see being emphasized in here. Seeing the way God works like this, again, the single best illustration, we crucified the Lord of glory. That's what we did. that's, That's our record. We did that. 
was God working behind the scenes. God's plan was to take the death of Christ and make the atonement of the world. That's God's working. We need to see that. This is the way things are working out in our lives all the time. Third thing, we need to believe God's plans began long before we were ever experiencing them in our lives. Paul's on this last missionary journey. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and celebrate Pentecost, or rather Passover. He finds out that the Corinthians are going to do him in on the boat ride back to Jerusalem. So he changes his plans. He says, nope, I'm going to try and get there by Pentecost. So I'm going to take a circuitous route and get there. All along the way, what's he told? When you get to Jerusalem, the Jews are going to take you captive and hand you over to the Romans. And what awaits you is chains and persecutions. Paul's told that. Paul knows that this is God's will, and he moves ahead in this way. He knows God's plan. He's in God's plan, and he's moving toward it. You know, Paul's desire, Paul's desire was to go to Jerusalem, celebrate Pentecost, get on a boat, come to Rome, visit in Rome for a very brief period of time, and go on and begin to evangelize in Spain. That would have meant Paul would have been out of Rome two years before Onesimus would have arrived. Paul's plans, God's plans. We, we need to see this. As these things are happening in us, it's not like God's playing some kind of immediate catch-up, like we're hitting bad tennis balls and he's running around the court and putting them back in play. God's working his plan more like a fine tapestry in everything that's involved in our lives as individuals and corporately is involved in making a beautiful picture that reflects the glory of our God working in our lives. But the personal relationships with Christ and the personal relationships with Paul harbor well for a very positive outcome in this story. Now the fourth thing that we want to look at is that long-term healthy Christian relationships are God's tool for cultural transformation. Jesus uses us to minister to others. A healthy person is a person that's helping others. An unhealthy person is a person that doesn't understand how they could help anybody. That's an unhealthy person. A healthy person is looking for places to help and is finding the avenues to actually do the help. Paul has ministered and helped Philemon and his family to the tens. How much clout, how many chips, how much whatever you want to call it, credence, does Paul have with this man Philemon? Philemon thinks Paul hung the moon. But he doesn't know that Paul's going to send him back Onesimus with this letter. <laughs> Just think of it. 
I thought so much of Paul. <laughs> Look what he wrote me in this letter. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's tough pill to swallow. But it's all built on relationships, isn't it? It's all built on relationships in Christ. Look at Paul and Onesimus. Onesimus comes. He's led to Christ. He's built up with Christ. Wow, look, I'm being discipled by Paul. Now, it's the only slave we know that was discipled directly by Paul. And what's he tell the slave to do? Go home. Now, Onesimus has got to have a lot of trust and confidence in Paul. He's got to believe that Jesus is really working with Paul to follow this prescription. The hope of Onesimus that this relationship between Paul and Philemon, Paul says, Philemon ministered to me, or rather that Onesimus ministered to me, and now he's here to minister to you. Second thing at this point is Jesus uses people to bring other people to faith. Paul brought Philemon to faith. Philemon brought his family to faith. Onesimus, do you know one of the reasons he might have left? Have you ever been around trying to tell somebody, a friend, about the gospel? And as you tried to tell your friend about the gospel, you began to realize he's becoming less and less a friend. Could be what's wrong here. Onesimus is going back, led to Christ by Paul. Paul's led Philemon to Christ. Paul's led Onesimus to Christ. This is where this is headed. Uh, Don't have any time for an illustration I was going to throw in here, but just to say I've seen this happen over and over again. People bring other people to faith in Christ. Another point under this, healthy Christian relationships bring influence in multiple lives for godly change. All these people that are named in this book live on a natural sphere and a spiritual sphere. And we need again to see that what we could never, ever accomplish in our own name can and will be accomplished in Jesus' name. And that's the picture that we see here. We should believe in Jesus to change our lives and to change other people's lives. We've got to believe that. The last thing is, very small changes can change the culture of the world. What is going on in this story is that Paul never demands Onesimus' freedom from Philemon. He never does it. But Paul clearly intends in this letter that Philemon will set Onesimus free. There's no question about it. And these texts have been the thinking 
of Christian people from that day to this day. And we need to hold on to this thinking and never be ashamed of it. We have things in our past that we cannot correct, but we have things in our present that we can bring all manner of Christian influence to bear upon, and that's what we need to be doing. I'm going to spend two or three more weeks in this epistle. I hope you will come to grow to see, as I have come to see, that this is probably the most sensitive and sweet and just most beautiful letter in the entire New Testament. Let's pray. Now, Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at something uh, that's a part of our lives, a part of our past, and to see how you brought the change to the world, continue to change the world, bring people out of bondage into freedom, but bring them out of spiritual bondage to spiritual life in Christ Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.